I want to talk to you today about the difference between starting something, okay, between starting something and sustaining something. Are you aware that there's a difference? Are you aware that it is easier to start something than it is to, come on, finish it, finish it right? Sustaining that thing that begins is a totally different animal than beginning it. Beginning something is exciting. Beginning something is new. Beginning something has a freshness about it, but sustaining that thing uh, is different. It doesn't matter if it's a goal or a habit or a business or a church. The beginning is always more exciting than the end. It's reality. It's part of it. But most of life, is lived not in the beginning, it's lived in the sustaining. So it's important for us to wrestle with that. But before we get to Galatians chapter 3 and we really think about what God has to say about that, I think we would do well to pay attention to address where we're at as a people. Not just Redeemer City Church, not just the capital C Church, but really our secular moment, our culture. Where we are uh, over the last two years and where we sit currently, um, I, I can imagine that in the last two years that some of you have emerged from that or are still in that living with some measure of fear. That over the last two years in, in some way, shape or form, there's been a measure of fear that's crept into your heart and is living there. Maybe you are living in some kind of spiritual indifference. Happens to the best of us. Maybe you're living in some sort of malaise. It's just life. It's just one foot in front of the other. Maybe you are just disenchanted with life in general. You're struggling with depression or you're facing some kind of mental difficulty or whatever it is. I think we could go around the room and every single one of us would have something to put in that line. If I was to listen to all of you, there, there'd be something that over the last two years, all of us would say, yeah, like this is the thing that's changed in my life, whether it be for good or for bad. But to be sure all of us didn't come through the last two years untouched. It's reality. What I think my greater fear is, is that some of us have not come through the last two years. Does that make sense? That perhaps many of us, if we were honest, we're still in that malaise. We're still in that <clears throat> disenchantment. We're still in that indifference that this season of life has created. Enter our boy C.S. Lewis. In 1948, with the ringing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Wow, man, I practiced that and I didn't get it right. <laughs> with all of that still ringing in people's ears in culture in their secular moment, he wrote an article about living in an atomic age, which was brand new tech for the time. It was not like what we live in. It was the moving from 
regular old school warfare to modern warfare where you don't have to be present to be in war. And it was a completely different thing. And I'm sure you've seen the movies or heard the things about where they practice drills and the alarms would go off in the city and kids would get under their desk because that would help them in a bomb. It's interesting what we do in moments of panic, like just get under the desk. That atomic bomb will not get you under the desk. Now, don't pray like under the desk. All right, I'm just going to leave that. But it was... New technology, but if we're honest, if we would put ourselves in their shoes, it was terrifying. It was terrifying to, for the first time, like really in the history of humanity, to not know that at any moment, in the blink of an eye, an entire state could be obliterated. So that, that was the moment that they were living in. That was the moment that he found himself writing. That was the moment he found himself pastoring a people. And I want to read you a lengthy section from what he wrote back in 1948, because frankly, I think if we were to take atomic age and remove it and put in the age of the coronavirus or the age of whatever it is that is changing and shifting in your life, it would be as applicable now as it was in the 1940s. Here's what he here's what he had to say. It'll be on the screen for you so you can follow along. Here's C.S. Lewis. In one way, we think too much of the atomic bomb. People will often ask, how are we to live in an atomic age? And I am tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Whoa, that escalated quickly. (laughs) You could get sick, cut your throat, right? Like, but it was reality, right? Like sometimes we have to zoom out and think about what cultures and civilizations have dealt with since the beginning of time. And we would confess that even from the beginning, Abel was not safe, was he? His own brother would be the one who would take his life. It's been happening forever. So he goes on or indeed, as you already live in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin. This is convicting by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Ouch. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. Reality. And a quite high and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. Doesn't get any better. He says. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whining and complaining and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made 
And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible, and here it is, key phrase, human things. Praying, working, teaching, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not break our minds. There's a lot we could say about that. And that is not my goal today. But I do hope it has perked your thoughts, that it is arresting your mind to process the fact that from the beginning of time, death is 100% minus one. Can I get an amen in church? <laughs> Easter's coming. I'm sorry. Pastor, Pastor Probs. It's a lot we could say, right? But regardless of what the last two years have looked like for you, the, the, the reality is, is that those last two years have affected you in some way, shape, or form. Lost a loved one, lost a job, built new habits, maybe some bad ones. We could go on and on and on, but the reality is, is none of us have actually come out unscathed. Maybe you have new questions about life, and if we're real with each other, faith. The key phrase, in my opinion, in his words, is that phrase I pointed out, human things. Listen to me. We are creatures. Okay? Track with me. We're creatures. We're humans. We do human things. Things because here's the truth we are not in control of almost anything. Because it does, in reality, only take a bomb. It only takes a cancer diagnosis. It only takes a pandemic. It only takes, you fill in the blank, for this world that is not our final resting place to rob us of our joy. To rob us of the life that God's called us to live. To keep us from stepping forward into the calling that God has for his church. In which he says he can do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. We believe and our confession as creatures is that we have a creator. Creatures underneath a creator. And hopefully you're nodding your head that we believe that this creator God is over all things. You ought to be in agreement with that if you are sitting in the house of God as a house of God. If you're a Christian, you believe that. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. I would love to talk to you afterward. It'd be the best day of your life. But if you're sitting here and you are a follower of Jesus, and that is your confession that you are a creature, he is the creator, he is God, and he is over all things. If that is true, listen to me, 
If that is true, it should change everything about the way that you and I live. Okay? If that is true, and I say if because it is a big if. Is it not? Might be the biggest if in all of the world. Because if he's not, then we are wasting our time. It's a big if, but it is the essential question for you and I to wrestle with. Lift up your voice and say, prove it. Nobody wants the proof. I can leave. Come on, say it. Prove it. Prove it. it. Thank you for asking. I know I told you to say it, but. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. The Bible says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Is there any reality to the confession that you make that God is the creator of the universe? Is there any reality that makes any difference in your life tomorrow? That's what we're after. Right? Because it's one thing for us to start being a Christian. It's a whole other thing 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road to still see the actual reality of God working in your life. It has to be real. Right? We can no longer just show up and check a box. We are wasting our time. We're wasting our time if he is real and you show up here and Monday through Saturday, it makes no difference. You're wasting your time. You're wasting my time. I'm wasting your time. We're all a big waste of time. Just this really negative, really fast. We're going to get positive real fast here. But listen to it. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might? Here it is. Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Far above. How much above? Far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and above every name that is named. Every name that is named. How many? Every name that is named, not only in this age, Paul says when he was writing, but in the age to come. By the way, you are the age to come. We are standing in the age to come. What does he do with this age that we're standing in? Verse 22, he puts all things under his feet. And God the Father has gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body. Why do you show up here? Not to check a box. Because we are one people. We are his body. The fullness of him. Who fills all in all. There is no room for anything else to be in charge. And that is great news for you today. Great news. And so. If all of that's true. It was. That God of whom Paul boasted to in the Philippian church in Philippians chapter one, verse six, he says, I am sure of this. He's looking around culture. You right now can look around culture and say, there's not a lot of things that I can be 
sure that I'm sure. We could list them. But Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure that he who began his work in you is going to finish his work in you in his time and in his plan at his coming. And then to another church, the Thessalonian church, he would write these words in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself, this is so key, may the God of peace himself sanctify you how much? Just a little bit. So you are really struggling every day that you get up. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Wow. It gets better. May your whole spirit, your entire spirit, your entire soul, and your entire body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it because you were blameless until he came? No. If you're sitting next to anyone who knows you, they're like, no. This morning was terrible. That's a big no. If you have kids, oh, if you have kids, no, they're not sanctified completely in Jesus' name. They are not. And because of that, I am not. No, no, no. It's not because you or I are faithful. In fact, we're usually not. What does it say? It says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then to the Corinthian church, another church at the same time period, he would write this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Not one of those scriptures has anything to do with your or my effort. Not a single ounce of what you bring to the table is necessary for you to have Jesus, for you to be adopted into the family of God. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, who your family is, where you've been, the choices you've made, none of it matters at the foot of the cross. What does Paul say? It says, he said that it was in Christ that God's mighty power was displayed on your behalf. Powerful. And yet, to be sure, okay, there is something that happens to us as creatures, as people, humans, Doing human things, because not all human things are good things, right? There is something that happens to us as humans. 
At some point after we are swept off the feet by this gospel, this good news, this message that Jesus is for you who you are not. And he begins this new work in us. Incredible. The beginning is always amazing. The old is gone. The new has come. Powerful. And some of your stories as I look out here are that powerful. It is like dead to living. That's reality for all of us who are in Christ. And yet, there's something that happens in us somewhere along the way. Most of us, as a detriment to ourselves, attempt to continue to live this new life as though the sustaining power of what God began depends on us. We all know that he who begins a good work in us, we all know that part. We love that part. Last week we baptized Juliana. We love that part. That part's exciting. Beginning the new work, that's exciting. What about the sustaining? What about the finishing? What about the faithful part? That's a different story. We don't, we, don't, we don't get up and keep track of the ones who are faithful. We talk about attendance. We talk about number of seats. We track baptisms. What about, what about everybody who, who finished what God started? What, what happens along the way? Oh, well, I didn't like the music. I didn't like the carpet. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can fill in a hundred things. A hundred things. What about the completion? A lot of us act like this life is perfected by our own efforts and our own skills and our own organizational skills and all of our things and all of our planning. And it sounds preachy, but it is intensely real and practical. Because if the God who started that work in you isn't going to finish that work in you and it's actually up to you, we are again all wasting our time. Because I don't know if you've met you. (laughs) That is exactly the issue that Paul is coming after in Galatians chapter 3. And quite frankly, he's shocked. He's like flabbergasted that they don't live what he preached. He's so shocked. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter one, chapter three, verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians. And then this is not derogatory. He's broken hearted. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What does bewitched mean? That's a crazy word. It means to be fascinated by something that is false. Do we have any of that happening in our culture? To be fascinated by something that is false. It's everywhere. And it's not just outside of the church. It's within the church. There are things being elevated to positions of authority and love in the church where they have no place being. Because how, how, much, how many things are under Jesus' feet? How many? All things, it says. That he's, not only is he above them and are they under his feet, but the scripture says he is Far above all those things. 
So Paul's saying, like, who has, what has, why are you fascinated by these things that are not true? When this over here is so good and so true. Look at what he says. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed publicly as crucified. Let me ask you only this. A lot of onlys and nuns and alls. Let me ask you only this. And this is such a critical question for you and I today. Because we're the age to come. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Listen, here it is. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It is the essential question. Even for us, might I say, especially for us, living in our moment, Paul asked the most important question concerning our faith that we could ask today. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your flesh? It is the premier question. Don't write me off. Don't tune me out because I know you've heard that before. You've heard that sermon before. Don't tune me out. Because the question is, are you living in that kind of freedom? Because from my seat, not a ton of people are. Myself included. Totally free. We're going to get to a scripture later in Galatians that says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Pure, unfiltered grace. The Galatian people were not living in that freedom. Many of us are not living in that freedom because there are Christian atheists everywhere. What do I mean? Christian by confession, atheist by profession. I'm, I'm a Christian by, by confession, what I, what I say I believe, but then when it comes to living my life, I am definitely an atheist. God has nothing to say, nothing to do. There's no pause for him in any of my daily life at all. I'm a Christian by confession I'm an atheist by profession. It's rampant. And I just want to ask you to answer the question in your own heart and spirit. Having begun by the Spirit, and maybe you need to go back there. Remember the time that you were baptized. Remember the time where you confessed Jesus as Lord. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Because that question is a questioning of what theologians call sanctification. Justification is the legal act by which God makes you right with Him through what Jesus did on the cross and then being buried and rising again on that first Easter. That is justification. That, that's where you are made right. And once you have that, it is forever yours, fixed, eternally, secure, done. Jesus, the last thing He said on the cross was... It is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. But that vertical relationship ought to affect your 
or a horizontal reality. And if it's not, Paul would ask you the question, who has bewitched you? What has fascinated you so much that you no longer live your life by the truth and the freedom that is this gospel? Sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life to make you more like Jesus. And so the question is, how does that happen? We know how it begins, but how is it sustained? Who is, who's doing the perfecting? Because we are doing a very poor job of the perfecting. Paul leaves no room for questions or doubts. And I love that about his writing. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being led by, breathed by God into his spirit to write down. Here's what he says in verse 10. For all, how many? All. All. That includes you. Who rely on the works of the law or your own effort to make God happy, to be right with God, to secure salvation, is under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. See, because if you choose to do it on your own, you'll be judged by that standard. If, if you're not being judged by God's grace, you're being judged by God's law. And I promise you it is more difficult than his grace. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one, he's answering the question. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. It is why he went to the cross on your behalf. He became the curse for you. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Here it is. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you are not a Jewish person sitting here today, there is blessing for you right now in this moment because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So that, what is the blessing? We might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, so we're back where we started. Human things. Human things. There are human things and there are God things. The human thing, the creaturely thing, is this. Simply to receive the promised spirit through faith. Because he both begins the work in your life and he sustains the work in your life. This is not a small business where you start it and it's exciting and then you have to sustain it or you die. That is not the way God's economy works. That isn't to say that you get to schlep around and sin at will and do whatever you want. That's not a real relationship either, is it? No. 
I'd be extremely disappointed if my kids listened to my instruction and then did the opposite and were like, meh, you're going to forgive me anyway. <laughs> That's no relationship, right? We engage in the spiritual practices. We talk about them. We cooperate with his work in our lives, understanding that it isn't our power doing the work, that it's his power at work in us that will produce in us what he wants. Surrendering his work to his work in your life. What does it look like to receive that spirit and then surrender to it? Here's what it looks like. Prayer. Reading his word. Worshiping with other believers, serving others around you humbly, sharing your faith openly with great joy because it's the best thing that's ever been found. That's what it looks like. So, so today, in reality, there is blessing for you. The blessing that is the Holy Spirit of God regenerating your heart, mind, and soul. So don't grow weary in the sustaining. If you're weary in the sustaining, then there needs to be a moment where you turn back to Jesus and receive the promised Spirit. The Holy Spirit who will sustain you. Faithful is He who called you. He will do it. Carve out the time to be with Him. Keep taking walks. In your bare feet in the grass. Creaturely things, human things that remind us who we are and who He is. Human things. And we leave the God things up to God. Amen? Amen. Come on, stand with me. Let's pray. We're going to sing another song and then we're going to celebrate Shelly together. It's going to be a great.